Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. This is our session one overview. Our goals for this session are to have an understanding of the purpose and the overview of this entire study, obviously, the Bible's structure, and the Bible's integrity. And we're going to, and it sounds like a lot, but we're going to talk about what the entire story of the Bible is. Um, <clears throat> so the overview is, uh, well, first of all, what do you, ex- and, I'll, and I'll take volunteers here, what do you expect to get out of this study? Anyone like to talk more than others and have an answer for that? Didn't want to take JB or Brian's class, you just went, no. Yeah. <laughs> Prophecies that come true. Prophecies that come true, okay, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. What else? have a more solid background on uh, the prophecies that do specifically state details about the Messiah. Okay, all right. There's a few of those. At least 300 about his first coming, so. Um, but yeah, we're gonna go all over, over every one of them tonight. No. Um, um, so how many have you have ever really thought of, if, if you're like me, you were raised not really thinking about Jesus until the New Testament. When you, when you get to the New Testament, it's like, oh, that's where Jesus is. And the Old Testament's where this real mean God is that, you know, fire and brimstone type stuff, right? Is that kind of how you were? Okay. So, yeah, like always God the Father in the Old Testament and then Jesus the Son in the New Testament. Well, actually, it's Jesus all the way through it, and we'll find that out. So we'll, we'll uh, there's a lot of neat things. So um, can anyone tell me when they think, and, and it's okay if you're wrong, if you're right, we're here for to just talk about this stuff. So I'm going to ask questions, and if you have an answer, great. If you're wrong, it's fine. Um, I'm wrong all the time. So uh, one of the questions I want to ask you guys is, and I won't do this a lot, but um, when do you think Jesus is first mentioned in the Bible? Genesis. Genesis what? One. One what? One. I heard 21. I heard 20. What What else? Or, or is that right? What if I told you he's in Genesis 1-1? Yeah. Where at? I mean, in the beginning, God. God. What's what's so special about that word? The Trinity. It's a Trinity. It's a plural form of God, right? So it technically says, and it's actually a grammatical error in Hebrew if you think about it, but it's not a grammatical error, obviously, because it's Scripture. But it's in the beginning, God's is what it actually says. But if you ask uh, any Hebrew or Jewish person, they'll say, no, it's God. But it's the plural form of God. There's a plural sense there. There's more than one. So in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. So, which when you see Elohim in the in the Hebrew, that's really anything in Hebrew that ends in em like that, like uh, Nephilim or Seraphim or um, Elohim. It means multiple. So plural, like Seraphim would be multiple seraphs or or angels, types of angels. Um, So yeah, the very first verse in the Bible, uh, and also there's a little, if you you go to a Hebrew parallel Bible and look at that verse, what you'll see is, in the of course it's right to left, it'll say, in the beginning, uh, God, or Elohim, and then there's these two letters that are kind of a grammatical connector, created the heavens and the earth. So there's these two letters, which happen to be what's called the Aleph and the Tau, or, or we would say in English the A and the Z, or in the Greek you could say the Alpha and the Omega. So you see where I'm going here. So it actually says in the Hebrew, in the beginning, God, the Alpha and the Omega, or the beginning and the end, created the heavens and the earth. So 
Um, there's a lot of debate about if that's actually what that means, but we see it periodically in the Hebrew, and it's kind of really interesting. It always falls in that kind of that kind of context. So, so we, we see Jesus in the very first verse in the Bible, or, or at least hints of him, or little little subtle hints of him. Um, but his presence is there. He was at the creation. So, uh, let's see. So, <clears throat> Jesus was born and has always existed. We think about people being born as when they start existing. Um, but in, in this case, um, and even like in Jeremiah 1.5, um, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So you could think, well, people existed before they were born. We won't get into that. But um, obviously Jesus, the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus existed even before he became a man, right? So he was... He, he didn't start existing when he was born. He, he already existed. He just came into this world. So uh, I'm going to give a few verses here. First Peter 1, 20 through 21, and it says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared to us in this last times for the sake of you. Through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So clearly there, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So he was here before creation, essentially. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of the, time, of the time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He didn't create His Son. He sent His Son, right? And then John 1.1, 1, 1, of course, very famous. It's, it's called the New Testament creation passage. It's, uh, you've got Genesis 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And of course, you keep reading that, you realize it's talking about Jesus. So, so Jesus was born and, or you could say but, has always existed. <clears throat> so number two, the entire Bible is about Jesus. Kind of a really brave uh, phrase, right? Something, something that uh, you can say, it, well, it's like, well, I don't see his name all over, the, all over the Bible, the Old Testament, but we'll get into that. Um, how many know what the uh, Hebrew name of uh, Jesus is? Yeshua. What does that word mean? Savior, salvation. It actually means salvation. So if you actually look through the uh, the Bible and look for the word salvation um, in the Old Testament, you're going to see a lot of Yeshua's used. I think it's over 70 times or something like that. Uh, maybe over 100 times. I can't remember exactly. But there's a lot of times that the word salvation is used in the Old Testament. And it's it's the name of Jesus. It's Yeshua. Now, that's not the only play. I'm not saying, well, that's it, you know, okay, you know, we're done. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. No, that's just one little subtlety. The fact that his name is salvation and that if you, if you read through the Old Testament and find those words salvation where Yeshua is used and change it to Jesus, it, it really kind of comes out and goes, whoa, that's, that's Jesus. You know, that's exactly what that means. So, um, so yeah, it's over a hundred times I marked it right here. So yeah, the name Yeshua is actually in the uh, the Old Testament about uh, over a hundred times. So um, Hebrews ten seven says, "Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God." So what this is saying is the book, which he's talking about Scripture here, is written of me or Jesus. Okay. Not just part of it, but the scroll of the book, the whole book, the scripture. John 5.44 says, How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? 
do you do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have put your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about who? About me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So we got Moses and um, in the probably the most famous Old Testament books, uh, the Torah, the uh, the law, talking about Jesus. So uh, Luke four twenty one says, "Now he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." So this is when Jesus, of course, goes home, goes to Nazareth, and presents himself as the Messiah. And what a big thing to say! He pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, he reads a few passages, and said, "This has been fulfilled today." And um, you could probably hear a pin drop after he said that in the room, I presume. But um, John 5.39 says, You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about who? About me. So we have Jesus Christ himself saying that, you know, the Bible talks about me or the scriptures uh, testify about me. John 8.56 your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So we have Abraham rejoicing to see the Messiah. So we have a theme passage for this study, or, or basically kind of a passage that we will say is like our our motto passage, I guess, but it's our theme passage. And it's if you want to highlight this, and it's a very famous little passage in the, in the scripture. It's Luke 24, 25 through 27. And there's a few things about this I want to point out. <clears throat> of course, this is when Jesus meets the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus and um, just starts talking to them. This is right after, of course, his resurrection. And these guys are walking along talking, and of course, Jesus himself shows up. And uh, what are you guys talking about? You know, you know he's got a sense of humor when he's just been, he's just been crucified, you know, beaten, crucified dead, raises from the dead and he just walks up to these guys like, hey guys, what's going on? You know, and, uh, and, the, and they say something to the effect of have you not heard what's been going on? And Jesus doesn't go oh yeah, I know. He goes, what are you talking about? What things? And uh, so he's, you can tell he's got a little bit of sense of humor there. But um, anyway, so our, our theme passage is from that little event and one of the part uh, where it says and he said to them, oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So the point of that is because they don't understand what really happened and compared to the scripture, of course. So what he's saying is, is that he basically the point of that is he expects us to believe scripture. He's saying, you foolish men, you, you couldn't believe what the prophets said, basically is what he's saying. So, and what we can take from that is that Jesus expects us to believe it. Okay. Obviously. Because it's scripture. The next line says, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, in a way, he's saying, uh, Didn't you, don't you know what was supposed to happen? You know, based on the scripture. So, Jesus expects us to know scripture. And then this is my favorite part. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, you can underline all unless it already is, he explained to them the things concerning himself in some of the scriptures. Is that what it says? Oh, yeah. all the scriptures, right, okay. 
So Jesus is written about in all the scriptures. That's what we can take from that one sentence. And of course we know who wrote the first five books of the Bible because Jesus told us so. There's actually a lot of debate in the scholarly and secular community about who wrote the first five books of Moses. Books of Moses. <laughs> um, but uh, Jesus himself tells us who did. So, Alright, so we're going to move on to another section. The Bible structure. Now this is some stuff that if you've taken any of the other classes, maybe 2, 2, or 4, 12, you've probably heard some of this, but we're going to kind of cover this anyway. <clears throat> so God revealed himself to man in three ways. And we have three passages here. Romans 1, 20, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, and Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Romans 1, 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, or have been clearly seen, being understood that through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So, God has revealed himself to man through the creation. When people say that our world just arose by chance, and you look around, it's like, no, it didn't. You know, there's no way. And that's a, that's a whole other study, but uh, yeah, don't get me started on that. So, <laughs> 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It's a very, uh, we should all know this one. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he's revealed himself through the Bible. Jeremiah. She's wanting to join your class. Okay. Uh, we probably need another chair. Okay, I'll go through them all. All right, thank you. Okay. Hi. I'll go back. <laughs> start building another room as soon as this is over and <laughs> plenty of room for everybody. No, welcome. Yeah, um, where's that sheet at? Oh, yeah. We have a sheet. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll work. If you don't mind putting your name contact information. And booklets over right in front of me. Here you go. And you're all, you have a pen? Yeah, you go. Okay. We're on page four. And yeah, we're on page four. And this will all be online tomorrow or the next day. So if you want to catch up, it's fine. <clears throat> Alright, so Hebrews. We're on the Bible structure, the last one. Hebrews one, one through two. God, after he spoke to us long ago to the fathers to the, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So he's also revealed himself through Jesus. So God revealed himself to man in three ways. Creation, Bible, through the creation, through the Bible, and through Jesus. And if you all haven't finished this sentence yet, <laughs> everyone knows this here. It's Stillwater Bible. The Bible is the story of how the perfect God brings sinful man back into a relationship with himself using his son, Jesus. Okay. Bible is the story of how the perfect God brings sinful man back into a relationship with himself using his son, Jesus. If you have it, How many have asked someone about what the Bible means and they give you that answer? It's usually something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't go to store. No. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's uh, that's essentially the uh, a very good summary of the entire Bible, the the whole story behind it. So, the Bible is divided into two major sections: Old Testament and New Testament. What's the Greek word? Yeah. Biblos. Did I write? Is it on there? Yeah. Oh, is it on there? It's a blank. Oh, there's a blank. The okay. word Bible comes oh, from okay. the word. Yeah, Biblos. Uh, B Y B L O S is one spelling, or or I. You could write I. Sorry, I thought I took that off. It's not really important, but yeah, but yeah, the Greek word is Biblos. It means book or scroll. Um, the Bible was written about by about forty guys over a period of about sixteen hundred years. Yet it's perfect. It fits together perfectly. Um, if we want to demonstrate that, every one of us in this room needs to write like a letter about something, and then we put it all together and see how well it fits together. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> and that's kind of how the Bible happened, but obviously it has one author. So, uh, and we, we'll, we'll just say, yeah, God, the Holy Spirit is the, is the author. <clears throat> Which, and the theme, of course, is salvation. And um, let's see, okay. So the Old Testament looks forward to the Messiah. So you have a problem at the beginning of the Bible. Solution is coming in the future. And that's the entire Old Testament. Very high level overview of the entire Old Testament. And then, of course, the New Testament is the coming of this solution to the problem and looking back. So the New Testament looks back to the Messiah. Of course, Messiah and Christ are the same word. Uh, just different languages. <clears throat> Savior or anointed of God. Yeah. And the Old Testament is the Jewish holy book. It's actually the Jewish Bible. So um, it's also called the Tanakh or the TNK, which is just three letters. In, he- in Hebrew, there's no vowels. So um, did someone say something? Oh, oh yeah, question. Sorry. Um, in Hebrew, there's no vowels, so typically you're going to have. It's kind of like the best way to demonstrate that in English is like if I said if I wrote this. What's that mean? Boulevard. Boulevard. Right. Where's the vowels? There's no vowels. You just know it. That's kind of how Hebrew works, but um, it's about the best way to illustrate that. So. Uh, so the Old Testament is the Jewish holy book. We need to remember that because we're going to talk about several Jewish things. And when you understand that the Bible is Jewish and almost every author is Jewish and that our Savior is Jewish and that everything that happens in the Bible has a Jewish connection or context, you'll, you'll, things will start to really you know, kind of make more sense, I guess is the best way to put that. But um, we'll see. Whenever you read something and it talks about swine... Jews hate swine, obviously. It's, it's a very unclean animal. So when you see something going on about swine, it's like, oh, that's why that's there. Or you know. But anyway, that's just one example. Or in some of the visions, when there's a, there's, there's a bird that it's a, uh, I'm trying to know what the bird is now. It's an unclean bird, but it's like it picks up the, you know what I'm talking about, the bird that picks up the, in the vision. And then, okay, I probably shouldn't have thought of that. I'll talk about it later. But there's a bird, a stork, that's what it is. So there's a stork that picks up the, this container. It's, an, it's in a vision. I think it's in Revelation. 
Uh, it's in Daniel and Revelation, but the stork picks up a container, and you're like, why is this a, is this a stork? You know, why is it talking about a stork? Well, it's an unclean animal. So anyway, uh, that's just one of the little examples. But all right, so the Tanakh or the T and K or the Torah, Nebim, and Ketuvim. That's the three uh, um, divisions of the Hebrew Bible. Um, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. That's really what Tanakh means. And then, of course, in the Christian Old Testament, the dividing of it is the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophets. Um, if you ever open up your New Testament and or your, your Bible, and you go to where it talks about like how it was the translation was made, you might see something in it called MT or Masoretic Text. That's the, that's the translation we use to translate the Old Testament in most Bibles. That was actually made in about the 13th century, I believe. Um, basically, the Orthodox Jews were upset that all these Christians were using their Bible as their Bible, and so they re-translated it into Hebrew again, and that's where we get the Masoretic text. So anyway, MT is the abbreviation for that. So. Um, about three centuries before Jesus' birth, the Tanakh was translated into Greek, by approximately 70 to 72 scribes. This, uh, this translation is known as the Septuagint translation. Septuagint. That's, uh, here I'll just write it this. Septuagint. It's just a fancy word for 70. Um, the reason why it's 70 to 72 is some tra tra uh, traditions say that there were, um, uh, what was that, 12, uh, 12 scribes from each tribe would equal 72, I think. Anyway, um, instead of 10, so something like that. Anyway, uh, so they don't know if it was 70 or 72. Not a big deal, just, just there. Um, most New Testament writings refer back to the Septuagint translation. So when they're quoting in, in the New Testament, of course, it's written in what? Anyone know? It's Greek. So they're referring to the Greek Old Testament um, in most cases because that's what everyone spoke for the most part. Uh, the Bible consists of three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, which is A-R-A-M-A-I-C, and Greek. Do you have the little quote out by Aramaic about Daniel? Okay, you don't know. Well, I'm looking at yours. Uh, Aramaic section, if you want to write this down, is in Daniel 2, verse 4, through Daniel 7, verse 28, if you just want to, just kind of as a FYI. That was already in Aramaic? That was in Aramaic, yes. That was when the captivity was taking place, and a lot of the, uh, the Jewish language, or the Hebrew language was kind of converted, I guess, into the form you see nowadays. Um, before that, it was more paleo-looking, you know, symbols and stuff like that. But I mean, they're both symbols, but uh, like now you've got like an Aleph, which is the first letter. It's like a ox head. That's the way it used to look, and now it's uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's like that. That might be the hay. I can't remember. Anyway, so they look, you've probably seen Hebrew look like that, but before before the the uh, captivity, it looked more like symbols and animals. 
Um, so let's see here. So when they uh, when they found the, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm -hmm. what, what type, what like era was that from? And how how was it written? Um, like Hebrew. Or was that it? that was in Hebrew. Um, it was I think several copies of Isaiah, like full copies. It had all, I think they found every book of the Bible except was it Ruth? Esther, Esther. Okay, yeah, it was one book they didn't have in there, but but they were uh, very intact versions of, of uh, and it just it just confirmed, and they were it's pretty much already what we had. So uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, oh, and the the portion of Daniel that's written in Aramaic. I just want to let you all know this focuses more on the Gentile world. So when you look at it from that context, it kind of makes more sense. You could say. Um, Daniel 4, by the way, if you just want to write this down, was written by a, a Gentile king, uh, the leader of the world, which I believe was eventually a believer, um, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you think so, too? Yeah, I mean, if you read Daniel 4, that's his testimony, basically. He's like, I'm going to write my testimony down and make it available to the whole world. That's Daniel 4. So if you want to read Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, by the end of that, you'll probably go, wow, I'm probably going to see him in heaven one of these days, because he, yeah, I'm pretty sure he became, he, him and Daniel were very close for many years. <clears throat> so we need to understand the Bible's integrity if we're going to call it the Word of God. And the reason why I say that, if that's the Word of God that's in your lap right now, or on the table right now, it's either perfect or it's not. If it's from God, it's not going to have problems with it. So we need to understand kind of how that works. We can say all day that it's perfect, but we need to kind of understand some ways in which it is. So 2 Timothy 3.16, of course, says, we talked about it, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Of course, inspired means God-breathed. means it's from God. Um, when it says it's profitable for teaching, you could say that it's profitable for knowing what's right. Okay. Uh, for refutation or reproof, what's not right. And there's your, I think I wrote that on there for you. Um, yeah, in the uh, first version of this class, I had you write all this down. So again, you're welcome. So uh, correction is how to get it right, and training is how to stay right. So there's kind of an easy way to explain that verse uh, in simpler terms. So uh, Matthew 5 verses 17 through 18, you have Jesus talking, and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so in that passage, it says, uh, do, not come, do not think that I come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law or the prophets means the scriptures. Okay? That's basically he's saying the law, the Torah, and everything the prophets wrote. Okay, So he's saying, I did not come to abolish the scriptures, I've come to fulfill them. Uh, to fulfill just simply means to render complete. Um, basically, everything the Old Testament talks about or the scriptures talk about, I'm going to fulfill. I'm gonna, that's fulfilled in Jesus. And then when it says, not the smallest letter or stroke, how many in here have a King James Bible? What's it say there? Oh, or do you, oh, oh, yeah, if you want to try. No, no pressure at all. No, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just, uh, instead of the smallest lateral stroke or stroke, it's going to say yacht or tittle. It's kind of fun, some funny words, but those are very small Hebrew letters. Uh, one's a letter, one's a, just a decorative symbol, you could say, or a hook on the letters. 
Um, what he's basically saying, it's kind of like you could you could say in in modern terms, the small like the dotting of an I or the crossing of a T sort of thing. He's saying that every letter is going to count. So every character, every letter, you know, nothing's going to be unfulfilled. Okay, he's fulfilling every single dotting of a T, t or crossing or dotting of an I or crossing of a T is what he's basically saying. So take it, take the entire text seriously is what he's saying. <clears throat> it's not imperfect. Okay, inerrancy. How many have heard that word? The Bible has, is one of the characteristics of the Bible is its inerrancy. It just means having neither errors of fact nor internal contradiction. So it doesn't contradict itself. If someone tells you it contradicts itself, praise the Lord because you're going to teach them how it doesn't. Okay? So, and a lot of people will, there's, there's very classic examples where people will say, well, this contradicts this because they saw something on the internet or something. Um, there are no contradictions. There might be contradictions in the, the appearance of contradictions in some translations versus other translations, but when you actually dig into it and study it, you'll learn that there's no contradictions. So um, if you want to bring some of those next week, let's say you, if, you, if you're thinking of one right now, like I think there is a contradiction, we'll talk about it next week. If you want to bring it, we can talk about it. Um, let's see here. Uh, transmission. So inerrancy, again, not having any errors, is attributed only to the, that's why I mentioned translations, the original autographs or the manuscripts. So the ones that were actually penned by the authors the very, very, very first time are the perfect copies. Now over thousands of years, those have been rewritten, rewritten, rewritten. When the scribes would write one and they messed up, they'd trash the whole thing, burn it, and bury it, and then start over. So scribes were very picky, or I say picky, they were very specific on when they, when they copied scripture. Uh, inerrancy recognizes, did everyone get that? Original autographs or manuscripts? Inerrancy recognizes imperfections in the transmission of the text with copying and translating as well as cultural, historical, and rhetorical gaps between the writer and the reader. <clears throat> Less than 1% of the scriptures are under competent dispute. And I say competent dispute, that means that scholars. scholars that are actually debating scripture, the ones that know it, supposedly, most of them do. I mean, they know, I mean, scholars know scripture. They might have different beliefs, but they know the scripture. Less than 1% of the scripture is actually under dispute. So, and it's nothing that changes any doctrine. So the disputed passages do not affect any doctrines. It's just little tiny details. Again, nothing that changes. Oh, Jesus isn't God. No, no, nothing like that. Just uh, word, little adverbs and little nouns and so forth. So, all right. Jesus himself recognizes the Old Testament as authoritative. He quoted the he quoted from many books of the Old Testament. Does anyone know what book he quoted most from? Just kind of throw that out. Good job, Deuteronomy. He quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings. You don't have to run all these down if you want to, but I'll slow down if you want to. Uh, Psalms, Isaiah, Daniel, Hosea, just a bunch of them. Jonah, Zechariah. He actually refers to the Law and the Prophets in Matthew 5.17, and he refers to the Psalms in Luke 24. So... Okay, I, I know I said no questions, but does anyone have any questions? It's fine if we have questions. 
Okay, moving on. The Bible authenticates itself. Does anyone know? Does anyone not know what authenticates means? Okay, good. So the Bible proves its own authenticity, essentially. The Bible reveals future events with great accuracy. Uh, there are many examples of that, and we'll cover it as the course goes by. There are approximately how many? How many? Does anyone know how many prophetic passages there are? Approximately eight thousand. When I said 300 or more earlier, that was just referring to Jesus' first coming. So there's about 300 or a little more uh, just about Jesus' birth. So, Well, and his ministry on the earth. <clears throat> no other religious writings do this. Now, there are other religious writings that kind of guess, you know, guess that things happen, but they're not always right. The Bible's always right. Okay, that's the difference. There's a difference between guessing and knowing the future in great detail. Um, for example, uh, I've got one, two, three, I've got eight passages here about Jesus' first coming that he fulfilled perfectly. So you got Micah 5.2, says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, big deal. How many people have been born in Bethlehem? Really not a lot because it's a really small town and, you know. Um, well, here's another one. Zechariah 9, 9, riding on a donkey. He, who ride, who, who's ever rode on a donkey walk, going into Jerusalem, presenting themselves as the king? Not many. I mean, like less than 10, maybe. But there have been people that have done that. So, uh, Zechariah 11, 11 12, he'd be, he was going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, very specifically fulfilled by Judas. Uh, Zechariah 11.13, he was, um, the, the pieces of silver were cast into the temple of the, and then the potter's field. I mean, it, prophecy is not just kind of vague. It's very specific in the scripture, very specific. And then it's fulfilled very specifically or perfectly. Um, Zechariah 13.6, there's going to be wounds in his hands. Isaiah 53.7, he has no defense. Uh, he's innocent. Isaiah 53, 9. I think it's interesting that when Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, you know, the scripture says he was possessed by Satan himself, but then he says he's betrayed innocent blood. So even, you know, I just think that's kind of interesting. Um, he recognized the deity of Jesus. So um, anyway, uh, Isaiah 53, 9, he would be die, he would die with the wicked, grave with the rich. Psalm 22, 16, he, was, he would be crucified. Even This was before crucifixion was really a, a uh, form of capital punishment. So, yeah, so this is just eight scriptures. Um, you don't have to write them down, but um, if you do the math, the chances of fulfilling those, um, all of those, um, is a very big number. I've, I've got the number. I'm not going to get into numbers right now. We actually have a study about numbers, but that's another time. Um, yeah, it's a huge number. That if you're into statistics, how I many in here like statistics? I don't like it, but it's kind of fun sometimes. Okay, so if I said one to ten to the twenty-eighth, that's a big number. So yeah, that's that's just fulfilling eight uh, prophecies. So um, anyway, so let's move on to the next section. Do not fall into the valley of doubt. How many have ever? And I'll raise my hand. Have ever just had one of those moments where you're like. You know, is this Bible really true? And it's just, yeah. And then, you, and then you have to remind yourself, oh yeah, it is. And it's just one of those dark moments, maybe. Um, 
um, where you just had a, have a bad day or you have you know, something happened, you have consequences in life and you go, did that really happen or did that happen like that or is that just a coincidence or whatever, you know? Um, were you gonna say something? Oh, they were gonna say I'll quit picking on people like that. No, um, so I say don't fall into the valley of doubt because, um, well, for, and I've got a few examples here. There's something called the documentary hypothesis. And you'll hear people say this, critics of the scripture, skeptics, and they'll say that Moses didn't write the first, first five books. This is what, kind of what I was talking about earlier. Okay. Um, you'll hear people say that there's different stylings in the, in the first five books, that suddenly the style changes. Suddenly he's using uh, the word Lord, like Elohim or God, Elohim, and now he's changing to using the word Lord. Well, if you read it in the context, there's actually reasons why those words change. But anyway, um, like there's multiple writers of, of Moses, basically. Well, if you, if you get into that discussion with someone, obviously don't argue about it, especially if they're not a believer, because they're not going to believe you anyway. Um, because um, no, the scripture even says don't debate this stuff with unbelievers because they don't understand the things of God. So, um, But it, just refer to John 5, 45 through 47, where Jesus actually refers to who wrote, Mo- or who wrote the books of Moses. That's why they're called that. So <clears throat> there's also one called the, how many have heard the two Isaiah theory? That there's two Isaiahs that wrote Isaiah? Have you ever heard that? No one? Really? Okay, well, there's a two Isaiah theory. Just look it up. Just go to Google and search two Isaiah theory. And there's people that believe that two Isaiahs wrote Isaiah. Um, it's a really interesting, because the styling changes at Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53 about? Jesus, right? You're suddenly, you've got all this stuff talking about, not talking well, talking about Jesus, but the styling suddenly changes to really talking about the Redeemer. And there are people that argue that someone else wrote this because it doesn't fit even though it does but it's typically the uh, they just can't put it together and um, so I have a few verses here that kind of that will kind of throw that out if you're a believer in Jesus anyway um, <clears throat> so in John 12 if you want to turn there you can John 12 verses or you can write it down 37 through 41. This is Jesus talking about Isaiah. And it doesn't really seem like a big deal when you read it, but it really makes a good point. So it says, But through, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that's a, that's a passage from Isaiah, so you can highlight that if you want. For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, or the other Isaiah said, no, it says the Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their heart, so they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Okay, so we have two passages there from Isaiah. The first one... Uh, verse 38 is from Isaiah 53.1. Okay? So that's Isaiah 53. Interestingly, it's the very first verse. And verse 39 says, you know, for Isaiah said again, that's kind of interesting, not the other Isaiah said. It said Isaiah said again. That's one person saying two things. 
Verse 40 is from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. So you got two quotes from Isaiah and two different sections of Isaiah from where people say that Isaiah didn't write this or another Isaiah wrote this. And then you've got Jesus saying, no, this Isaiah wrote this, same Isaiah wrote this, and they're in the two different sections. So. Isaiah 6.10, Isaiah 53.1, and of course Jesus says, Isaiah said again. So if, if you ever hear that argument, and I, I really can't believe no one in here has heard that, uh, I've had a few people talk about it, and, and you, you throw that verse out there and it just pretty much shoots it down. So. Or they're, and they're either a believer and they agree with you or they're not a believer and they have another argument. So, But again, no point in arguing about it. Just reach out to those people. So, uh, so Daniel Composition Day. Here's another one. People will say, and tell me if you've heard this. How many have heard people say that Daniel must have been written way later because it's so accurate at history? Have you ever heard that? Okay, so we got people who have heard that. Okay, well, here's, here's if you ever hear someone say that, here's what you tell them. So basically, here's the, here's the, if you've never heard that, so Daniel, if you read the prophecies in Daniel, they very, very specifically talk about history in advance way before it happens. So Greece, Greece is talked about before it rose to power, um, and all of these emperors, uh, Alexander the Great, all the specific, these world leaders are detailed with great accuracy what they did, their campaigns, and what happened to them, and who was who defeated them, and so forth. <laughs> and people say, "Well, this can't be written before because it's too accurate." Well, that's called prophecy, you know. <laughs> that's because God wrote it, right? So, <clears throat> for example, here's another one: Daniel nine <laughs> predicts the day when Jesus presents himself as Messiah the King. How many have never heard that? Okay, we've all heard that. So Daniel 9 predicts the exact day, down to the day. Uh, that's, an, that's a fun one to get into. Daniel 11 details... How many of you have heard of the silent years? That's the years between the, the Testaments, right? About 400 years. So Daniel 11 actually tells you what happens during the silent years. So if, if you know your history, you know what happens during the silent years. Read Daniel 11, and it's like reading a history book after it happened, but it happened It was before it happened. So anyway, that's another reason. So... Um, here's the big one that people forget. Daniel is actually in the Septuagint translation of the Bible, okay? Which was finished in the third century. That's like a matter of history. You go to, how many remember encyclopedias? <laughs> yeah. So, if you go to a cyclopedia or just Google the internet, find out when's the Septuagint, when was the Septuagint written? People will kind of say, well, third century, because they know that Daniel's in there and Daniel was written before all this stuff happened. So if you've got a book that was written in the third century with a book that people say wasn't written in the third century, well, you have a problem. So so Daniel's in the Septuagint. And Jesus actually quotes Daniel in Matthew 24, 15 through 16. <clears throat> so Jesus recognizes Daniel a prophet, as a prophet. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. You said something about um, arguing with a with an unbeliever about scripture. Yeah, and and I didn't want to get yeah yeah I did. Um, so there's a passage, and I think it's in. Does anyone want to find that for me? I think it's First Corinthians. First Corinthians two fourteen. Yeah, basically what it's saying is, I don't have it memorized, so that's my the natural man cannot accept the things of God for they are ignorance to him, right? 
Foolishness. Foolishness, yeah. So the natural man or the carnal man or the not non-believing man just basically can't comprehend what it means because they see the they see this stuff as foolishness, so they can't understand it. It's just, yeah, that's basically. But why are they even asking questions and trying to understand? Usually because they're trying to tell you it's not right or it's not it's not real. I mean that that's my experience anyway. People are usually trying to discredit the scripture. Um, that it's just an old fantasy book that was, you know, just like any other holy book. And 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 that's why I'm just like I don't, I'm not going to have this because because usually it doesn't end well if you try to. Well, this is what you know this means, and then you you should just try to show them the gospel ultimately because once once they believe, well, I just don't yeah. read it and then don't right. argue with me. Cause yeah, yeah, and you don't want to argue because <laughs> like, it does, it never ends well. About. Yeah, yeah, you but, never want to argue. But about I stuff. thought about. I guess right reason why I'm bringing it up is because mm-hmm. there is a scripture about, and I can't, and I, see, I don't know the address of it, right, exactly where it's at, but it talks about not arguing with the believers about stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not off the top of my head, but you can bring it next week if you want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to really you know find gonna, it. Okay, if you want to find it, that's like, fine. Don't worry about this. We can talk about it after if you want to find I don't it. Know. Yeah, but no, it confused no. me, and so like, yeah. I thought, I don't know. I don't. I've never argued with an unbeliever about it, and I've mm-hmm. shared people. About it, but I've had people ask me, and they don't get it. And I'm like, I, I can't help you. You're gonna have to read. It's not the Holy Spirit to understand the <laughs> Right. The, other, the Holy Spirit reveals the. It's, it's a big revealer, yeah. and if you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, and they will not understand what you're trying to tell. It's just ignorance. To it's just yeah. 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 We're, we just it's yeah it, it, yeah. I've heard it all. It's. It's not all, but I've had some really interesting I think I've had that before, but I didn't realize. It's usually, it, yeah, you, you just want to go back to the script, go back to the gospel, talk about that, because uh, otherwise it just becomes an argument about. There, it's, it, it's all about worldview, too. So, I mean, if, whatever their worldview is, it's going to really uh, influence the conversation. So, Okay, so where were we? Uh, yeah, if the bat okay, so if a biblical passage confuses you, what should you do? So if you if you find a passage that makes no sense, um, well first of all you need to remember that there's nothing it's not wrong. Okay? So remember that the word of God is perfect. Remind yourself, don't don't go, well, this must not be right, or check another translation, maybe it might make more sense to you or something. Or or just step well, we'll get into that studying it, but pray about it obviously. Uh, you want to go to the guy that wrote it. Okay. Uh, and just talk and just talk to him about it. You know, help me understand this and um, study it. Obviously, does everyone have the little bookmark here, um, or who has one? Um, it shows you how to study the scripture. You got one? There you go. Is that it? Yeah. There you go. It's a. It's kind of a kind of a um, how to on how to a cheat, sheet. A, a cheat sheet. Yeah. There you go. On how to uh, study the scripture, um, ways to approach it um, to help you understand it better. So, and that, they've got them out here. So, um, and um, in, I say insert Jesus Christ into the passage. So, if you don't understand a passage and it just isn't, it, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, like, like the rock that spilled water out in Egypt, or you know, the rock that came out of the water, the split rock. Um, and, and of course, that's real. You could, to me, it's obvious because you know Jesus is. If you do a study on rocks, it's funny how every one of these rocks kind of 
Jesus is the rock that followed them in the wilderness. That's actually in the New Testament. So, um, so there's just a lot of little, if you, little symbolism. If you say, well, let's see if Jesus somehow makes sense in this passage, and then then it will really come alive to you. So, all right. So that was study one, and we're again, it's an overview. We want to talk about how the Bible's perfect. We want to talk about how it's perfect, um, who it's written by, uh, kind of a little bit of history. Um, and ultimately that Jesus refers to himself in the Old Testament. We're going to really dive into that next week. Um, we're going to go over some ancient passages. We're going to go into Job, where Job actually talks about his second coming. Okay, so oldest book of the Bible, talking about things that still haven't happened yet. Okay, so pretty neat stuff. Uh, we're going to go into some other places too. But um, So summary, Jesus is in all the scriptures. Can you believe I had everyone write all these sentences down before? Torture. Everyone was just cramping up. And, yeah, I, I felt horrible. But okay, God's word is from God to man, making known God's plan of salvation, and giving us truths and principles so that we can live our lives as His representatives. And the Bible is reliable. I say and. The Bible is reliable and perfect. And the next one's and. And Jesus expects all believers to study and know and understand the scriptures. I have too many ands there, but. And there is a memory verse. Sorry. We should all know this one. So I didn't write it down. I just wrote the. Yeah, you'll have to go and read it yourself. But it's it's all scriptures inspired by God, of course. It's that one. 